Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. We are part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Welcome in Chris Anderson for our Monday morning Q&A. Chris, we had like two or three different huddles and two or three different ways to get uh, a good start to this and a, a good finish. But man, we blew it. Couldn't get a shot off. Bobbled the whole thing, and uh, boy, just not the way we normally do things around here. Um, sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. And hopefully, people don't turn on us like they, they've apparently turned on Huggins based off some of these questions that, that we got in the Q&A today. Yeah, I mean, putting him on the horse, slapping the horse, and hoping the horse rides off into the sunset. <laughs> Can't believe it. It's taken quite a turn since the last q and I'll, I'll put it that way. Let's take the temperature here. I I know it's a team that people maybe aren't as familiar with, and it's a team that doesn't have a number next to its name and doesn't excite you with a whole bunch of like marquee names or All America candidates. Certainly, their best player is not playing. Um, I watched that team twice now: once against Tennessee and once Saturday, and it, two of the best performances of the season by that team. And I see a whole lot, but I also see speed length uh, matchup issues for West Virginia, maybe not as much as currently constituted. I think that they're probably a little bit more agile and that makes up for some of their other athletic deficiencies, but wouldn't miss in the second half, um, made all their free throws, got hot from the three point line and just outscored West Virginia. It's not a good loss. There's no good losses. I don't think it looks quite as bad. Ultimately three weeks, six weeks from now, we'll know more. But this seems like everybody wants to turn the ship around and go back to shore. And I I don't know. I don't feel quite as bad about it. No, I think Florida was a terrible matchup for them. And they had an amazing game plan. And I think the only time that West Virginia really did well against it was when, for some reason, Florida got away from it. I, I mentioned it as it was happening. They they kind of went with and And if you're an opposing team coming up about to play West Virginia, you're instituting this plan right away. And it was basically a man defense that pushed all the way out past the perimeter on everybody, yeah. everybody but Culver. And the, it just very tight defense so that they could not get a shot off. And then as soon as the ball goes into Culver, the opposite defender is double teaming as fast as possible. And we saw them do that. Culver early on was getting rid of the ball. So he wasn't turning it over, but his passes were just, I mean, you know, you keep hearing about Bob Huggins. Uh, what's his his term? Uh, in the pocket, in the pocket passes, throwing it, you know, right into hit their spot so that they're ready to shoot as soon as they catch it. And Culver's passes were at their ankles, above their head, to the side, the left, the right. But at least he wasn't turning it over. But if you're not getting good passes, you're not going to get a clean shot. But but Florida was implementing this, just forcing them. And the only way to kind of expose that defense is to drive past them, and they couldn't. They just couldn't because Florida was still kind of athletic and long, and it made it still difficult to drive past them and and, and then create from there. And that's not exactly West Virginia's strong suit, um, driving past guys, except, you know, maybe McBride. But it was a bad matchup. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes remaining in the second quarter, in the first half, Florida switches to a zone for some reason after they had done so well with that defense. And then West Virginia just... Shot lights out against that zone, which was a very odd move by them. And then the second half, they switched back, and then West Virginia couldn't shoot again. So I don't know why they switched that zone for a while, but 
that was that, other than that that stretch there where Florida was in his own. I thought the Gators had a great game plan, and they really outplayed West Virginia. Yep. I also don't know how West Virginia was in the game, even because they shot 40%. They missed 20 of their 28 threes. They missed nine free throws. I I believe they made all their one-on-ones, right? Uh, yeah, I think they were either three or three or four or four. I mean, they missed the back end of a couple of them, but yeah, they, they made the front end at least three times. Yeah, um, and still 80 points. They got a Herculean effort from Culver, and they got... Uh, Deuce McBride missing his final 11 shots. He looked like McBride from Monday um, for the first part of the game. Finishes nine points, nine assists, six rebounds. So he did contribute otherwise. But um, I don't know, just for giving up 48 points and 55% shooting, 7-11 from three, nine of nine from the foul line in the second half. That'll do it to you. West Virginia can score 40 points and a half. I don't think they can score 50. And I don't know if you want to say, hey, you got to go get 50 points this half to win the game. That's a bad recipe for them too. Um, I don't know. Just it's a it's a tough matchup for them. You're going to see teams like that too. But I can't I can't say this being the reason to say, hey, let's turn this all around and try something different. Let's go back to the way things were. That doesn't seem like it makes sense. Um, what lies ahead for this week? Tuesday is Iowa State, which is a horrible team right now. Not all their fault. They just don't have a complement of players that can compete in the Big Twelve. And then welcome to Thunderdome. Here <laughs> you go, Kansas. Oklahoma. No, Kansas, Texas Tech, then yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah, Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, Baylor, Texas. Um, <laughs> I mean, like right into it, too. I, I feel like Tuesday is they're not going to lose Tuesday and they got to feel good about themselves. But I really feel like what happens Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is way more important than what happens Tuesday because Kansas is definitely beatable. We, we've asked this question a bunch. Are we sure they're good? I'm not sure. I mean, they. They have looked terrible for the last three weeks. And the performance they put on against West Virginia, and, and you, you look at that game, like, holy cow, they looked great. What they did against West Virginia, they have not done, like, the entire rest of the season. Like, that was that was the, the exception to the rule. Yeah. Uh, Kansas can't shoot. They can't. They absolutely cannot shoot at all. And I think at, uh, in that game against Tennessee – I stopped watching when they were one of 15 from beyond the arc, mm-hmm. one of 15. And and they've been putting up those kind of performances all year long. And except against West Virginia, I don't have the stats in front of me how they shot, but they, they shot well enough that they were out shooting uh, Sean McNeil, who was what, six of six from three in the first half. Mm-hmm. So that was the exception. You're not getting that team again you're not going to get a Kansas team that's going to shoot like they did the last time West Virginia played so they are definitely beatable and if if they can just keep them in front of them they should have an advantage and 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 playing at home they should be able to win that game these that that is going to be the so it's not very often you say this but playing Kansas on Saturday is going to be the most winnable game of that upcoming six game stretch it's remarkable isn't it yeah and and again, if you don't win that, I mean, woof, are you are you one in five? I don't know, but boy, if you can't beat the winnable team, and then Oklahoma's bad news. There is bad news for West Virginia. I don't know how replenished their roster will be by then. They 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 had a great win Saturday without um, Reeves and I can't remember the other guard's name in the starting lineup. Um, I don't know without two of their starters, and they win against Alabama, which is a pretty good team. So if they're able. And they have all their people there. They're going to be a handful for West Virginia. We know certainly about 
um, Texas Tech. Before that, I know that, but I'm just looking at the, the upcoming schedule here. If you don't get that, I mean, home games against Oklahoma and Baylor are not guarantees. <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's it's rough. I don't know. It's just you almost got to get two this week. I think if you want to make sure that the you're not shaking the foundation. Um, magic wand. You can wave over anybody, Chris, to make them right. Who would it be? Hmm. I'll give you mine. Go ahead. I don't know what happened to Taz Sherman. Okay. 19, 20, and 17 in the three games before the break as a reserve. Starting in the three games back, 10, 10, and 11. He's 2 for 6, 3 for 5, 4 for 11, and worse than that, um, 5 for 12 from three-point range, which isn't bad, I guess, now that I look at it, but um, a lot of shots for him that he's not making that that he typically makes. I don't know if it's because he's coming off the bench for most of the season. He's a starter, and now he's unable to summon the offense. I, I think that's probably a little bit overrated, but I wouldn't be surprised if McNeil is back in the lineup, the starting lineup on Saturday, um, excuse me, on Tuesday. But that'd be the one guy I think if I can get right because it gives either the starting lineup or the bench a jolt of offense there. Otherwise, I don't know, you're, you're, probably, you're probably asking a lot more out of other people that might be going the wrong direction right now. Yeah, I... I, my hesitation was not because I wasn't sure who to say. It was just, do I feel comfortable saying it? Because I feel bad saying it. Um, it was Emmett Matthews, just because, you know, obviously he was hit hard by that break there with, with the COVID protocols. Um, you know, nobody has said who tested positive, who didn't. But, uh, you know, he lost, what did they say, 19 pounds? So I think it, it, it's, you can, you know, decide on your own who if he was one of those that was hit by it. And he just doesn't look right. And, and and you hope that he's healthy. You hope that he feels better. Because when he's out there, I love him as that four. Like as, as the guy that's supposed to be basically playing defense as a four, kind of it, with Culver down low as, as the five at the four out, one in look. And when he's not conditioned well, when he's not feeling well, when he's not what he was, it's hard to have him out there. He, he can only kind of be out there in spurts and – and I think that hurts his team that's already struggling for depth. Is it, is it 19 pounds? Did you hear that? Was that what it was? It was 12 once, and then it was oh, 18. it was 12. Okay, excuse me. 12, 12, 12 right. <laughs> but then it was 18, though, so I don't know. Maybe it's 19 now. Yeah, <laughs> you can you can magic wand him. I think that's fine. I mean, if it okay. gets to full strength, that's fine, too. I think on the floor would be my argument there. Um, yeah, got to win Tuesday, and you, it's, you're right. The Texas game or the the Kansas game is is winnable, which you don't say very often, or is the is the the one you have to win compared to the other ones that follow it. Um, should, this time next week it gets real. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be um, it'll be interesting to see how they respond because Bob Huggins threw the rhetoric in afterwards that frequently pops up during you know stretches where things get tough, and some of these things are not unusual for him. Saying guys don't play hard, they don't compete. It's not like it used to be around here. We hear that a lot, probably more than we're comfortable with, but. It's typically accurate, and something bad happens, and this is not the time for something bad to happen. What do you think about Saturday's postgame? It was, you're right, and it's something that we've heard before. Um, so I kind of, eh, when I hear it again, just like the, hey, our guys can shoot. Although, I guess I guess eating yeah. crow on that one, am I? I guess I'm eating crow on that one this year. 38% from three this year. Yeah, it's up there. It's a lot better than it was, but it's... This is not the point of the year where where those issues should be still rearing your ugly head. Like that that shouldn't be happening right now. Um, but as as you 
told me and everybody that was listening to this podcast, uh, maybe last time we were on here or the time before that, Bob Huggins is a smart man, a very smart man, and he says things for a reason. He does he he says and doesn't say things for a reason, and I don't think he's putting it out there out of just sheer frustration. I think he's putting it out there for a reason, and I'm assuming it's kind of motivational. Uh, I'm assuming it, it's getting it out there that there's something going on and some guys need to get their head on straight or else they're not going to be playing a lot moving forward. So I'm, I'm okay with him saying that stuff. I, I know, I know how he wants to coach them and I'm sure he probably can't coach them like that anymore. And especially not, you know, given what happened last month with guys being sick and guys being out and they're all coming back. He really can't really can't push them too hard when they're coming back from that. So it's probably a frustrating time, but I don't know. That's kind of leading into some of the questions we got on the on the on the mailbag here. Are we treating him differently than, um, say, the football coaches? Because because we've heard we've heard other coaches say similar things, and it seems that we give Huggins a pass and be like, "Yeah, those those darn kids." And then when other coaches say it, we get upset with the coaches for not finding another way. It's a great point. Let's get into that. Let's not dilly-dally any longer. Let's hit our questions here. And by the way, I misspoke. Not 38% from three, 36% from three. But still, um, guys are making shots, Chris. They are making shots. 36%. Last I checked, I'm, I'm double-checking this, but 36% is better than 30%. So, yeah, that's that's good. Significantly, too, I yes. think. I'm not sure. I'll we'll have to check. I'll come back on that one, too. Uh-huh. Here's how it goes. Uh, subscribers submit questions every uh, Saturday, Sunday, depends when we put the post up, but we answer them, most of them. Um, and then Chris will come with the overflow edition in print for the people who don't like to listen to podcasts or just want to hear more from Chris, which is quite a list growing. Um, <laughs> but let's get into it. Questions, answers, and then we'll um, wrap it up with a preview of what's to come this week. But let's see. What do people think? What do they need to know? Well, there was there was the question. I, I kind of alluded to it right there. It was here's the actual question from Dub V got M. Uh, why is it that the things Hugs says get digested differently than any other coach at WVU? Example: Huggins says guys don't try hard or give enough effort. People say, well, yeah, kids these days. But if a WVU football coach Holgerson, Neil Brown, whoever said that, it would be, well, it's your job to get them to buy in and give the effort. If the answer is Hugs is a Hall of Famer, 900 wins, blah, 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 then shouldn't the bar on the totality of his success also be raised? Three, six, six, three sweet 16s, zero conference championships in a dozen years doesn't exactly scream golden area, but it's branded as such very often by those to, quick to shoot down Huggins distract, detractors. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Dub V bringing the heat right there. Uh, Michael, where would you like to go with this? It's a really fair point, and... It's it strikes me that like this exists because when, when I see the words from somebody, then I'm like, well, this must be a thing. And then uh, some other people have contacted me, and there's other comments in this thread where it, they really kind of underlines the point being made here. And I don't, maybe I don't see it as much. I feel like I get crap because I'm critical all the time, so I don't know. But I get it. I think that he can get away with some things. Now, is it because of tenure? Is it because he went to school here? He's more likable than Holgerson. Yes, no, maybe. It's probably all subjective, but. These are good points. Um, I would say this, like I, I just, I don't know how many times you can, you can press the button about these guys aren't the same. They've changed because if it keeps happening, are you are you recruiting guys who 
keep changing or you don't have the mechanisms in place to keep them from changing. You know what I mean? Like we've heard this so often that something is wrong. What's what's striking here is that, well, two things. One, cleared house two years ago and have kept and, and really tried to keep the best parts of the roster around. And that's two years ago. What happened a couple of years before that? Harris, Henderson, guys like that, Debo, um, cleaned house because it wasn't working and wanted to keep the best people around. And it worked out pretty well after that. So maybe it's cyclical. Maybe it's inevitable. Um, I don't know. But how many times you clear the deck and get the right people in? I don't know. The trouble is that weren't we led to believe that they kind of cleared the deck this season too? Like Shibway was some sort of a distraction and people. And again, the thing I heard from a couple people fed up. And if you read some comments or listen to some comments this week, this past week from players, they like what they're doing a lot more now. And I think that there was some type of grudge, whether intentional or not, but being held against the way they were playing because of who they were made to play with. And neither one exists now. And they felt a little bit more liberated. But how can it be going bad again? You know, if the one guy who was a distraction and wasn't putting in as much as he thought he needed to or as much as other people thought he needed to. Everything's supposed to be rosy, right? Everything's supposed to be sunshine and rainbows. And it's not strange to me. I had to turn so quickly. So, um. I think you're fair to be critical there too, but I don't know. Has Huggins ever looked lost? You think like, just like clueless doesn't know what to do. He says it sometimes, but I'm not sure that's true. Um, I'm looking at the numbers of three, six, week 16s, no conference championships, a dozen years. That's, that's a great, I don't think people are, are wrong to say that, but you also look at everything else he's done at large in his career too. And I think he gets a lot of credit. It probably offsets things a little bit. I think the the length of his career and a lot of the wins and the good things he's done, the good wins he's had, they can probably dampen some of the criticism, but I don't think it makes his his veneer impenetrable, though. This is like I I love the point about if it keeps getting the deck reshuffled and guys flushed out and all this stuff. Why is it happening every couple of years? What you know? What what that that tells me that there's maybe something else going on, something else that needs to be addressed or discussed or whatever. But it, it something. Something's not right there. Um, the other point is, man, and three sixteen. I know I understand three sixteens, three sweet sixteens, and zero conference championships in twelve years. Um, not great, but I also there there seems to be some kind of like uh, I, I don't want to say restructuring some some misremembering about the history of. West Virginia basketball. I'm not dogging the program by any means, but you know there was a nice run there with Beeline for, for a few years. He was here for five years and made was it two sweet two an elite eight and a sweet sixteen, mm-hmm. and, and so that was it. In five years, he made two two NCAA tournaments. Um, and with Catlett, I don't I don't think West Virginia had made the the before that had made the tournament in like 15 years prior to that that elite eight run under Beeline mm-hmm. and there were just a handful with Catlett before that even and then you're going like 20 30 years of nothing dating back to almost like you know Hot Rod Hundley Jerry West days so I get that you know does does three sweet 16s sound like the quote unquote golden era of WB basketball, maybe not on its surface, but what exactly, what stretch, what 12-year stretch in West Virginia basketball history is better than 
once he's been in the tournament? Ten out, nine out of twelve years, ten out of twelve years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess last year didn't count since the tournament was canceled, but on the way to another one. So you're talking eleven out of thirteen, and that's what, how many times they've been to the tournament? Twenty some. Mm-hmm. So you're talking half of the half of the program's NCAA tournament appearances, half of their Sweet Sixteen, almost half of their Sweet Sixteen appearances. One of their two Final Four appearances, all under Huggins. So, it's it depends on how you look at it. You you you, you phrase it as three sixteen Sweet Sixteens and nothing else. Yeah, that sounds bad. But I'm saying maybe it is the Golden Era. I think I don't know if you can count as the Golden Era just because the Jerry West Hot Rod Hunley kind of time was was so darn good. But it ain't bad. Could be a lot worse. Well, five Sweet Sixteens though overall, right? What? Oh yeah, for Huggins. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Three in the oh, past. Yeah. Let's oh, see, three, three in the past. past seven years. Yeah, That's pretty, good. pretty good. And really, take away one because you don't have the twenty twenty tournament, right? Um, so three I, of the last six. Yeah, it's not bad. No. Also, the teams they lost to: the Kentucky Juggernaut in fifteen, Gonzaga in seventeen, Villanova in eighteen. Those are all number one seeds. I think combined they had three losses, and two of them belong to Villanova. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they played an undefeated team and a one-loss team. <laughs> um, right. Listen, sometimes, I mean, you get, you get bad luck in there, too. I, I think it's a good point, too. Sweet 16 is first year, Final Four is third year, and then since then, um, you know, you're talking a first-round loss, a no-postseason year, an NIT year, a first-round loss, a CBI quarterfinal. That's a lot of stuff in there that's... that's um not congruous with the rest of his career but when you look at that stuff too mr tournament nit then you go sweet 16 first round sweet 16 sweet 16 um quarterfinal the cbi i don't know what would have happened last year but i think that team was a lot better a lot sooner than you thought after you saw the 2019 team and this team looks like it had a chance at different times this year pandemic is one thing that hurts the sheetway thing hurts too some of it's out of his control i guess um as he said after the game, he, they won't let him on the floor. You know, he can't make the baskets or get the stops on defense because they, they won't let him on the floor. So a lot of it's on players, and he has a lot to do with that too, recruiting, retaining, developing. Um, that's obviously him and his staff too. I'll say this. It's a fascinating conversation that's going to intensify in the next uh, 15 to 24 months. Yeah, and I guess what did I, what did I what did, was that date that I found in the contract? Like September first, um, July first, somewhere somewhere in the summer. He every year from here on out, he has to let the athletic department know whether or not he chooses to continue to be head coach at West Virginia. Um, uh, you know, a couple years in advance. So be something to watch every time to see to see to make sure that he he has alerted them that he wants to keep it going. But it goes through the twenty one twenty two season, which is. Two years from now, right? So right. Well, this past summer, he had to submit that he he had to let the athletic department know whether or not he was going to coach the year after that, and he did. So he's apparently a bit. There was a deadline where he has to let them know two years in advance if he is going to continue to coach another year, yep. and and that went this past summer. So it's one more year, but something to keep an eye on. Again, I think there was, I, I something. Something is a little off. I admit that uh, things are not as great as they could have been. There have been a couple years where it felt like it could have been better, but something else to help put it in perspective. In the 13 seasons prior to this year, not counting this year, um, of Bob Huggins at West Virginia, 
West Virginia has finished the season ranked in the top 25 of the AP poll seven times. Hmm. In the 50 years prior to that, or so, 45, 50 years prior to that, four times? Yeah. Four times? Four times in the previous 45 years? Seven times in the last 13? It's so, a really plot test. It really is. Like, you're going to hold it in front of different people, and they're going to see different things. Uh, and I don't blame people. Of, of he, he, he came here, you know, Beeline came here and took this team that, that was really struggling, this program that was really struggling when, when Beeline came, lifted it up. Huggins, you know, took the baton, kept it going, continued to lift it up, and now people want the next step. I don't blame people for wanting that. I do not blame them at all. And this program should be able to take that next step. So I don't blame people for pushing and wanting that. Because I, I think, you know, I assume Huggins wants that as well and is expecting more of his players to get there. I would say that among peers, this would be a good one too. Among peers, I wonder who would be more rooted for if he got into a Final Four or a Final, you know? Yeah, um, I feel like Beeline was one of those guys. Like coaches in the fraternity really like him, and they wanted to see him get one of those too. Um, Huggins is probably a little bit divisive. I'm sure people could take him or leave him, but he's got a uh, a lot of people who really do like him and root for him. I think at this stage of his career, if he had a team that was you know top ten into the Final Four, you know playing on that last Monday of the season, I, I wonder how many people would be like, man, do it, make it happen, come on, go. It'd be kind of a fun thing to to test the water on there. And I'm trying to see what else is there. There's a couple other questions that were related to that. Some people noting that rightfully so um, 77 and 71 in big 12 play uh, since when wait without Carter, no 32 and 47 in conference without Javon. Amazing. Right. <laughs> well, and, and I, I'm trying to figure out the 77 and 71. Oh, that's since joining the big 12. Okay. But well, I mean, to be fair, Big 12, yep. not an easy conference. One of the best. and But still, 77 and 71, That's I don't think that's acceptable. Uh, but it is a tough conference. But the the Javon thing, how are we, how we, are we, are we giving guys? You can't, you can't hold against him for getting the generational talent. Yeah, like he got <laughs> No one else got him, and then he got him, and then you're going to hold it against him that he got him, and they did well when, when Javon was there. No, I don't. We can't do that. Can't do that. So. I'm out on that that part of the argument, but the 77 and 71 probably needs to improve. I I, I had to go back and double check that math because that doesn't sound great at all. What did did uh, Williams and Macon leave after the Stephen F. Austin game? Williams did, yeah. Did Macon too, or was Macon back? Uh, I think Macon left that two, year too, right? Boy, I should know this, and I don't. But yeah, I remember Devin Williams was he because he did the interview right after and was like, "Nah, I'm staying." And then you know, a few days later, he was gone. Yeah, and that wasn't. I don't know that that was something that everybody agreed upon or was happy about. So that would have been after the 15 season. So 16, actually. So no. So Macon no, came. Macon did one more year. One more year. Okay, and then he had to leave where he left. Oops, uh, he left. So I'm wondering, like, sometimes you you get guys who make bad decisions and that can hurt you. But which makes you think about next year because everybody's got a chance to come back. Um, Obviously, a lot of the attention is going to be on McBride because of the art people think he's on. Um, Culver, don't know. I don't know what the book is on him in the NBA. I've heard very different things, and most of it's based on potential and not what he delivers right away, which makes you think he's like a second-round pick. Um, McBride, don't know, but I'm talking also like Sherman. Does Sherman come back or not? I don't know. So a lot of the things about people coming and going have hurt him or maybe haven't helped him before. 
he could be helped appreciably if everybody came back next year. You would have a pretty dynamic team. But again, you might also be sitting here in Europe not being like, boy, they really miss Sherman. Uh, boy, what if Culver wasn't in the G League? You know, things like that could be making it a difference in the conversation about him. Yeah, I think this relates to something somebody not asked me, not necessarily in, in the mailbag, but on the message board the other day about recruiting. Um, they signed two players for this class, and they had two seniors, but Bob Huggins expected both of them back in Gabe and Sherman, um, or at least early in the year, you know, early on in the year. He said it would I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he's he I believe he said something about it. It would be silly or something of them to leave. Like he didn't he he didn't think it was the right move for them to be done with their career after this season, done with their collegiate career after this season. So I think his expectation was that both of them were coming back and which would imply that two guys are transferring out or else you can't bring in the two guys that you signed. So one one of those spots is obviously taken care of with Oscar and then at least one member of this current team will not be here next year. Uh, I mean, I think everybody that that's grounded in reality of college basketball knew, knows that's the case with transfers and everything, but at least one member of this current team will not be here next year. And, and who knows who that will be because, because Gabe and Sherman are both seniors, but both will have the opportunity to come back. So, so there's no relief in the NCAA on that. Not yet. It's got to be not yet. exception. Yeah. I, I know they were discussing it in football. I don't think they've set, uh, um, I mean, I've heard people float numbers, but I don't believe they've actually set that in stone yet. Have I, they? I think you just got to let it go. Just like, right. I mean, how do you tell? How do you tell someone no? Because you're at your cap of what the NCAA allows. Hey, I want to come right. back. Sorry, I can't do it. But you let those other nine guys back. You're allowed to have. You know, why can't you do that? You no, know? I don't uh, know. That'd be, that'd be tough. Let's do the um, the other question from Mountaineer Musket Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask it if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's piggybacking here, but he says it's frustrating to have a Hall of Fame coach be no better than 77 and 71 in Big 12 play. Baylor has gone from a program ridden with scandal to one of the best teams, I mean literally this year's team, in the past five or so years, while Texas Tech, a program in the complete backwater of basketball, made a Final Four and has risen to prominence. It would seem we've been passed in the pecking order. If so, why? Is it a reflection of Huggins and his style of basketball or more WVU being WVU? Above average at everything, never good enough to get over the hump at anything. This is a great point. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, tides rise and fall in college sports because it's cyclical. Coaches leave, players turn over, um, and while you're coming down, someone's coming up, and while you're going up, someone's coming down. That expedites your rise and fall. And West Virginia's been caught in those tides. I think that's pretty easy to say. We talk about the same thing in football. Um, are they are they the sixth best program or the fifth best program? 
in basketball, the only certainty has been Kansas, and I wonder if this is the beginning of something here. We've heard whispers about Self going to the NBA or getting caught by scandal. Who knows? But maybe it's beginning to chip away at him. I don't know. He's still got a ton of talent on that team. But for as long as I've known the Big 12, that's been the premier program, similar to what Oklahoma slash Texas has been in football, those two in perpetuity. So like they're one and two, or at least with the means to do it. Basketball, it's pretty much always been Kansas and Who's been number two? It's been Iowa State. It's been Baylor. Um, it's been different teams in different years. But this is a really good point. Baylor and Texas Tech have overhauled a couple of times, and they're one and three right now. One and two right now. It depends. Uh, Texas coaching change, a lot of talent. Shaka Smart probably saved his job. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Are they just kind of in the same pack here? I don't know. This is a good question. Why can't West Virginia? reinvent itself or invent itself like a Baylor and a Texas, be better than above average at anything and get over the hump of basketball. I, um, I've been thinking about this because at first I thought, Hey, you know what? When we were in Boston for, mm-hmm. uh, that, that NCAA tournament run and West Virginia was there, Texas tech was there. I got a firsthand look at tech in that because we were helping out our Texas tech side, I was sitting right behind Chris Beard and I thought, I thought he was a great coach. I thought they did a, a wonderful job that year, but it, have they passed West Virginia right now? I, I, I'm, I'm about to make, I, I don't know. I think it's about the same and I'm about to make an argument against it because and when I look at this Texas tech program, since Beard's arrived and he's done well, but uh, didn't make the tournament. Elite eight, national runner-up, obviously great, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I don't think they were on pace to make the tournament last year. I mean, 18 and 13, not great. 500 in Big 12 play, so maybe sneaking in the back end of the tournament. Um, This year, 11 and 5, pretty solid, but kind of right where West Virginia is right now. And the two years that they had the runs in the tournament, if you go back and look at their – their runs, man, that's that, that actually, God, that one where they made it all the way to the championship game was better than I remembered. They had a tough, tough route to get there. Holy crap, that was better than I thought. But that Elite Eight run, I, I think they got a, they got a couple easier matchups than, than West Virginia did. You know, West Virginia had to play Villanova in that Sweet 16 game. Meanwhile, um, Tech's playing an 11 seed in Purdue. Uh, or down to two seed, but number eleven Purdue, and I think that was a much better matchup for them. They were, I thought Purdue was overmatched, maybe the worst team out of the four teams in that little grouping. But this is, I think West Virginia's on par with it. I don't think there's any question about the Baylor thing. I think they they've elevated their program to maybe the best in the league because they're kind of set up for success for the next couple of years as long yeah. as they can keep turning in guys the way that 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 they are. So. It's tough. You're right. It rises, it falls, it happens. But I'm not ready to just say Texas Tech is clearly ahead of West Virginia at this point. Baylor, sure, I'll give that one to you. Um, but man, I don't know. I think I think one loss again against a pretty good Florida team, and and it's a lot of negative thoughts here. Scott Drew since Bob Huggins became the head coach. First round loss, NIT runner up, Elite Eight. No tournament, no postseason. Um, Elite Eight, NIT champ, Sweet 16, first round loss, first round loss, Sweet 16, second round NIT, second round loss. Is that different? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of 
um, recency bias going on here, I feel like. So you got four Sweet 16s. Huggins has five. Uh, but you have two Elite Eights. Huggins has one. But Huggins has one Final Four. Drew has none. Drew may have Drew may have a national champion this year. That's a big difference, obviously. Mm-hmm. Here's what's cool about this conversation, too. Um, Texas Tech was bad before Beard came in. And they were bold when they hired Beard. He had just taken the job at UNLV, but they said, I don't care. This is a guy we need and want because we think he can do things fast. And he did. Um, they're, they're very much like West Virginia. I think a lot of people see that parallel. But Beard is from that same school of like Bob Knight motion, things like that. Defense, defense, defense. So um, they they quickly got good again because they got a good coach. It was not good before he got there. And they were just kind of rudderless. What are we trying to do? Nostalgia tour, things like that. Um, what surprised me is how how high level the recruiting is. Like they're they're getting big time players like pro prospects and people who like Jamias Ramsey who probably shouldn't be in the NBA but's in the NBA right now. And if he was on this team this year, holy cow! Don't forget um, Moretti too. Davide Moretti was supposed to be on this team. He's playing ball overseas. They should have two Moretti. They thought for sure was an NBA guy right after this mm-hmm. year. He went pro to Europe. They said they have two pros who aren't playing that could or should be on this team too. Um, and they, they just have recruited high-level players, surprisingly, too. Baylor was doing that. Baylor had, like, the sneaker tour all-stars, and that's when they made those Elite Eights for a couple of years in 10 and 12, I believe. They had really good teams that had a bunch of pro players on it, too, just, like, super athletes that were very good. And then they just kind of reinvented things, and they have become, like, the diamond in the rough developmental program in the Big 12, maybe beyond. Almost like a Gonzaga, I guess, which is kind of interesting when you look at what's happening with the college basketball season. Those are the two best teams, but they have old rosters that are talented. Um, Baylor's roster has a lot of transfers and, and guys that came from smaller schools that you wouldn't think, but, and guys that are redshirt. I forget what the story was that I did before they didn't play, but I want to say six players are redshirted. Most of them are transfers, but two of them are guys that came on and just sat out of here and then are good. And they just kind of gotten guys indoctrinated. And it's you do, you don't see fifth year seniors very often in college basketball, but a fourth year junior, a third year sophomore is just different, more confident, more mature too. And and by the way, they have good players, but they have something with their skill development, their retention program, their off to the side basketball that makes their roster really good. So Texas tech kind of reinvented itself by getting a good coach, but also recruiting at a high level. Baylor kind of reinvented itself by just kind of sinking its, its resources into finding and developing players. And if you look at their team, it's a bunch of players who are older, who played a little, played a little bit more, and then are stars, or who were somewhere else, came and got indoctrinated and became really good players. And their chemistry as a team, especially on defense for the past couple of years, has been really, really good, which is a credit to them. But what's West Virginia done? Their their press Virginia thing was a complete reinvention of the wheel. It's not out of Bob Huggins' grasp to do something not the same as what Texas Tech and Baylor did, because what Texas Tech and Baylor did isn't the same. But Something that grabs the wheel and changes course and brings you to a destination that's second weekend, third weekend of the tournament, as opposed to don't know. We'll see. You want a little bit more consistency, but there's a way to do it. And I I just think it's crazy to say that Huggins can't or won't. We've kind of seen it this season, too. They're they're just playing differently. I'm not sure how in love with it he is. It sounds like not very much after this <laughs> game, but can he do something similar? Will he? He's red charity more now. I think he's probably done with elite recruits. If you ask him, um, it's not worth maybe the time and the hustle and the hassle that, that comes with it. But if he's in twilight of his career, does he have it in him to do something? Does he have the time, the interest, the need 
to try something different that maybe he figures out, all right, we tried this, we tried this, you know, we got to be hypothetically, let's, let's lean into this four out, five out ball screen motion. I need to get more six, seven threes. I need to get three and D and dash guys, right? Can he do that? Can he get a bunch of them through transfers? Probably would have to. Um, can he get any of them through just really good scouting on, you know, summer circuit? Can he get guys that are going to be playing and scoring 82 points a game? and shooting 50% from the field within two or three years. Can he do something like that? You know what I mean? Can he do a Texas or a Baylor program reversal? That's an interesting conversation, too. All right, let's move on to something not as deep as that. Something more up your alley, Mike. Welcome. This is from 8389 grad. This one is a hypothetical just for fun. You get to add one special teams player to the football team. And your pick is guaranteed to be all conference for 2021. Guaranteed. Which position does he play? Assume everybody else remains the same. What category of player adds the most to this team? Punt return. Yeah. Yep. All right. I was hoping we'd have. I'd, I was hoping we'd differ on opinion on this, but I, I think it, you it, just one big play you know, every couple games could, could literally flip an entire game with, with yeah. one big punt return. Because what difference are you making in kickoff? You know, 25 is a touchback. You're seeing more touchbacks these days. And if you if you have a good return, you're at the 35, you know, eh, whatever. But punt return, one, punters aren't great. That's like the most erratic position, I think. You have a good one or you have an and one, you have a bad one. That's like the three categories of punters. But... If they're good, you can negate it with a good punt returner. If they're bad, you can make them pay with a good punt returner. You can create something out of chaos. Punt return is chaos. Like uh, teams, I, I've thought to coaches only like to practice punt return because you give guys bad habits. Because the punt can be so erratic and the other team's coverage can be so erratic that your guy may do what he's supposed to do. But if the coverage team is all screwed up or if the punt doesn't go where it's supposed to, then all your best plans are for naught. So if you have a guy who's just good, instinctual, slippery, fast, on punt return, you can take a ball from the 5 to the 25. That's a big deal. You can take a ball from the 40 to the 10. That's a big deal. You can make something happen there, too. Um, and again, out of nothing, you can save bad plays. We talk about erasers on offense, guys who can catch a screen pass, who can you know maybe make a defender miss in the backfield on a handoff. Erase bad plays and turn in something positive. It's really what it takes to be good on punt return. You have to erase your mistakes and their mistakes and be something productive with it. Do something productive with it. Mm, I hate to agree with you 100, percent but I do, I do. I just don't think it's. I mean, we, we've seen you're not seeing long snappers get quote unquote all conference, and, and guys can be flawless and not get all conference because, for the most part, out of the you know say 10 guys in the league, you're going to have eight of them that go through the entire season without having a bad snap. That's mm-hmm. how specialized these guys have gotten. That's how good they've gotten at their jobs. So worrying about getting all conference there, whatever. Don't need to do it. It is important, of course, but. Kicker, man, sure, it would be nice to get field goals, but let's be blunt here. It, it's You're not going to win a bunch of games with field goals. You, maybe you get one extra win a year with a good field goal kicker. It might change it a little bit, but really you're looking at punt returner as making a big difference. So I think that's that's one where you can you break a couple or you, it flips field position. That that can make all the difference in the world. Yep. Um, from M. Scarborough. Who is one player we never really heard of this past football season that you think will make a splash in 2021? Well, let's get scientific here. You want to do this? Sure. 
right. Um, the 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 fun answer is 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 green, but let's take him out. Um, okay. Running back. Uh, I'm not going to say Sparrow because you're probably going to have two freshmen in front of him. Receiver. You're probably going to have a lot of those guys back. Um, there's an answer in receiver, I think, but we'll get to that. Offensive line, probably have some answers there. But go to defense. Who on defense? There's no room. Right. Like, there's nobody. Like, I mean, is there maybe Taj Austin, you would say? I don't know. I need to see him play. Um, maybe David Vincent O'Coley, but where's he playing? Maybe Scotty Young, but where's he playing? Like, you bring back so much that that's a good question for the defense, which is also good that maybe there's no answer. So can we agree that it's probably not on defense? Yeah, I would not. I was not even thinking anybody on defense. All right. So then we go to offensive line and receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Where do we think there? My first answer would be Sam Brown. I, I liked him from the very beginning. His high school state tape makes me think that he probably should have been a much bigger part of the offense. I don't know why he wasn't. I'm assuming it had to do with him, his attitude, his practice, whatever. But he looked okay in the bowl game, too, when they had to throw some passes and catch him, and he did. I can just see him with the full spring and summer being the guy that says, all right, we have to get him involved somehow. He has something. He does something that no one else does. That would be my pick there. Um, offensive line is a fun one because we've talked about this a bunch. They, they're going to be talented at the front line, but they have so many guys who are redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores that maybe there's a chance for someone to pop through there. And you could look at a Jordan White. You could look at a Chris Mayo. But again, there, it's similar to the defense. Where is somebody going to pop through? So I guess my answer, my pick, would be nothing against the offensive line. I just think it's hard to predict one there. And it's harder because while they do have two spots in the starting lineup, I don't know who's going to play there that we hadn't thought of before, we hadn't talked about before, because Nestor wouldn't answer. It wouldn't be a qualifying answer here because he wasn't on the team. And... I don't know. Right tackle. A bunch of guys I heard of before. Hard to figure out for me. So I'm going to say Brown will be my answer there. <sighs> now you're making me reevaluate because we're about to have two of the same answers in a row. Oh, and no. That, that was my pick, too. I, I, I feel like it has to be wide receiver for all the reasons we just discussed. Uh, Sam Brown was the first guy that came to mind. The second was Caden Prather. Um, I think he is maybe one of the best wide receivers West Virginia signed. And, you know, at that level, you know, he's got to progress to end up being, you know, among the, the receivers that actually flourished at West Virginia. But at the point of their high school careers of when I saw him and when I saw some of the other guys, he's up there as, as good as West Virginia has ever signed. And I think he is talented enough that he could be a difference maker right away. Now, the question is, is he there this spring? Because I think that makes a difference. You know, he was not planning on enrolling early and then his football season his high school football season got canceled so he went through uh extra hoops to try to get enrolled early but it, it for those who don't know when you when you're enrolling early this is something typically planned in advance like a couple years because uh, you have to hit a certain number of classes a certain number of credits a certain number of core credits it's core classes so you really have to plan it out you know a couple years in advance and you're taking extra classes or certain classes as a junior, as a sophomore, during the summer, whatever. So it was kind of weird of, of, of him to kind of flip that on the fly and try to make it work, and then, you know, no if he's in or not. Um, as of the other day, you know, you, you updated uh, uh, the board on who was actually enrolled, and he was not one of them at that point. But if he's there for the spring, that helps a lot. 
But either way, I think he's he's just talented enough that he should be able to break right into that 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 group. All right, you're picking true freshman then. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I guess that doesn't count. He wasn't really on the team last year either, but that's fine. God, I well because I was gonna pick Sam Brown. Now you got me picking something else on the fly. Well, I can't, Reece- I can't sound like you. Good answer. <laughs> would Reese Smith be a good answer though? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we saw that's such a strange thing with him because. We saw, and I asked Neil Brown about it, that on like the most important plays in the game, they're bringing him in. And they're running plays to him. And even if they're not running plays to him, they're having him in the game on the most important plays of the game for like the first three quarters of the year. And we just didn't see him much, uh, much more than that. And I, I never really understood why. I'm not sure why, because it, it would seem odd that somebody would be you know, ha- have critical plays designed for them or with them involved and then them not to be involved in just regular plays. Mm-hmm. That seems a little bit strange, but I'd have to figure out what's going on there before I, I deem him as, as somebody that's going to break out this coming year. Um, Cause we, we, we saw some glimpses. We saw him out there on key plays, So he'd be another one. Another one I just thought of on the fly, not at receiver, but, we keep floating all these ideas at offensive line. And, and what about Jaquay Hubbard? I mean, yeah. he, he got into the starting lineup at UVA for a reason, you know, as a true freshman that, that, that doesn't happen very often, but he was in there for a reason. And, and if you can compete at that level, he's already shown that he can compete at that level. So we cannot dismiss him as someone that can fight into the starting lineup this year. Let's do a defense. If, if if Jordan Leslie could answer this question with the most optimistic response, it would be Jordan Jefferson, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, let me throw some guys that you hear. Taurus Simmons, Eddie Watkins. So they're both um, bandits. I don't know what they are. Are they? Uh, I, I guess. Maybe. I, they were not playing for class, for sure. Yeah, they could. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know, because I, I, I think of them as bandits, and and then you already have, you know, Cowan and and Bartlett there. So, uh, but we've heard in the past about guys moving from from bandit to Mike, and Mike to bandit, and Mike to Will, and all that stuff. So, Watkins I guess you can't really rule it out. Watkins has to be a bandit or a D end, right? Six four two forty. Simmons that looked, big. Yeah, Simmons looked pretty good when he was on the field in limited portions last year. Um, that was, those are just interesting guys to me. Linnell Carr would be in that conversation too. Where do they put him? He played kind of bandit slash defensive end when he got in. So they have a couple of young candidates there that I don't want to immediately disqualify anybody on defense because their defense is going to be so veteran with so many returning players, but they're going to have some guys who can fill in and, and they should be ready to play now again, full spring and summer. It should be good for them. Who knows who can crack the, the list. I have an interesting one for you. Mm-hmm. James Thomas. Okay. They were excited about him to get him on campus and to go. And he, he didn't, I don't think he played much defense, but he was a regular on special teams. And he arrived late too. Yeah. So yeah. He, he was behind the eight ball from the begin with. So to, to be involved, even after arriving late speaks something to his abilities. Yeah. Six, three, two fifteen. I mean, he could probably play Mike for you. Is that his, is that his fate? You think? Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's all kind of interchangeable with the the wheel because I think when he was first recruited and when I spoke with him out of high school, he said they were recruiting him as a will. But I think you know, will Mike, he could play either of those spots. We'll have to run this back in a couple of months, but like, I think the, the options are kind of clear in offense. If you want to expand a freshman, uh, true freshman, then certainly um, 
the two running backs coming in, Johnson and Anderson, would be two to watch because they're going to have a path to playing time now that Sinkfield's gone. Receivers, we went over. Offensive line, we went over there too. Defense, it's probably the, probably the guys that you haven't seen but have heard about but you haven't heard about for a while because they're going to have a lot of people back, and these are guys who were just kind of prepping last season. And Thomas, Watkins, Carr, Simmons, those are guys probably be excited about too. Yeah, that is uh... – that is not too bad. It, here's somebody else on defense, or maybe offense, Sean Martin. Yeah. You think? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take away the yeah. offensive line joke, but I mean, he's somebody that they were excited about that kind of got derailed for a good portion of the year because of COVID protocols. You know, a, a walk-on had been tested positive, and he got knocked out for like three weeks because of contact tracing. You know, this was early in the year before they shortened the window, and. And he was out for a while um, before he was he was back with the team and, and able to travel. It'd be a good one. Um, anything else you saw in the mailbag that you wanted to touch on? Wrestling? But please, if you know, share. Oh, they're 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 right where they should be. They're, they're they may be ahead of where they should be, but they get a win Sunday. Sunday, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty good team uh they get a ranked team to come in and find a way to to piece together enough just quality matches for their guys uh, northern colorado number 17 in the country and they win that was a good win for them listen they have one of the best college athletes in the country right now uh, nobody's no beating adams. adams yeah no one's beating no, no adams he 13 to 1 major decision that's that's pretty impressive there too um look they're on their way they're they're in the 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 good they're on a good track right now too. And like the difference I think and what the way things are going, I was looking at this at 141 and 154 last year. Uh at 141, if I can find the number here, 17 and 15. This year, four and two. 154. I can't find it now. Uh, let me see here. I'm trying to talk out my ears and it's not working. They're they're filling in spots with freshmen that they couldn't really fill in last year or they had to replace last year. And that's worked out well for him this year too. So yeah, the headliners Adams, obviously that's like a price yeah. guy. And if you want to watch a match, or if you want to go and see him, um, that's a guy that you go and you look at Uh 165 um, from Chester, West Virginia is Peyton Hall. Um, last year at 165, they were 11 and 13 this year. They're five and one with a freshman. So they're getting contributions from from spots where they need it. Last year, Caleb Ray, 17 and 15. Um, this year, if I can find him, redshirt freshman is Jeffrey Boyd, four and two. So they're finding ways to fill in where they need to fill in. And it's with freshmen and redshirt freshmen and true freshmen. That's been good to them. Um, I, I, listen, they're on track. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. They're exciting because they have a they have a price of admission guy. And they got young guys who are in there because maybe Adams. Maybe because of Tim Flynn, maybe a combination. Um, just the future is pretty bright. Adams is only a junior, right? He can come back next year. It's not like he's going pro. He's not going to sign with NXT uh, early out of college. So I think there's a chance that they could be really good again next year too. It's exciting. If you're gonna, if you want to get invested in wrestling, do it now. Now's a good time. Yeah, there, I've heard nothing. People have been asking about it a little more lately, and and I always take a gauge of what's going on with other sports at WVU, uh, always kind of keep track on it. And then all of a sudden you start hearing more from fans asking questions, asking questions. And that kind of shows you where they're trending 
which is in the right direction. I believe somebody was asking me about recruiting. I said, heck, I don't, God, I don't know anything about recruiting. It's but really you good. Go, yeah. I say you go, so I do research like you do with anything else. And you go look it up, check out the people that do know wrestling recruiting. And they all rave about um, the recruits that West Virginia is bringing in. I think in the class that they signed, now they're on the schedule, same schedule as uh, basketball where they have a signing period in November and then another one in, in the spring. And the one in November, they had a couple kids that signed that were ranked, you know, near the top of their class at, at, the, at their weight class. So it's it, not only do they have the guys already on campus that are doing well, uh, obviously, as you mentioned, Noah Adams maybe best in the country. And then other guys that are ranked nationally. And then you're bringing in recruits that are ranked nationally. So you're, you're, you're doing it the right way and you're, you're backfilling into those spots that might one day need some of these guys. So um, it looks like, it looks like, you know, wrestling is going the way of baseball. I'd say, you know, you know, moving up and in, in, in everybody's interest in, in building this program. I had the wrong info on Ray. Caleb Ray was a sophomore, not a senior last year. My bad, but he's wrestling 141 this year. But again, they, they got a, a true freshman to come in and be really competitive right away there too. They're, they're good. They're, like I said, they're on track. They have the right, it looks like the right guy. Um, it's kind of weird that this didn't happen earlier that they, that a guy like Flynn who is good regionally didn't end up here when they had a shot before and they hired like a, like a hot shot assistant coach who was from Missouri. And they thought that this guy was sliced bread and he can come in and do like that assistant coach to head coach jump. It'd be really good. Um, Tim Flynn was up there in Edinburgh just doing his thing, you know, recruiting and, and developing and having one of the best small wrestling programs in the country. Small, I don't know if that's the right word. They were pretty good, obviously, consistently. Um, I don't think you could think of wrestling as the same as football or basketball when it comes to the scope of the program. So he had a really good program up there. And you go to the Big 12 where he has a little bit more now. And it's working. It's really good. Um, similarly, baseball, really good recruiting. Mm-hmm. Good facilities. Got a guy who... Um, had been a head coach before and came here. We had better stuff and more stuff. And um, again, being the head coach at East Carolina, is, is that like being the head coach for wrestling at Edinburgh? I don't know, but East Carolina is really good at baseball. Um, he, he had some experience and he's doing really well here in baseball. So um, there's some parallels perhaps between the wrestling coach and the baseball coach. It's kind of fun to see Maisie doing what he does and Flynn doing what he does in smaller sports too. It takes time, but maybe it takes an expert hand. It takes some experience in the sport to figure out what you have to do. Um, by the way, baseball was number 14 in the D one baseball poll. Do you see where they are in the big 12? Yeah. Sixth. Sixth. <laughs> oh boy. And they're good. Um, they're going to be good. Yeah. I would say that you're looking for them to, to make the college world series this year, which will look a little different. Um, we'll go over that when we get closer to that time, but um, quick follow up on the recruiting ranking thing. I was able to actually find him now. Uh, one kid, Jordan Titus, number one in his weight class, according to Flow Wrestling in the country. Uh, that's insane. Uh, next kid, Lotson Heiser, I believe is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 17 in his weight class. And the last young man, Rhodes, who was number, was that number seven in his weight class in the country? So, mm-hmm. Number one, number 17, number seven in their respective weight classes in the entire country. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, imagine getting the number one dual threat quarterback and then, you know, the number, all those numbers, but imagine getting it like quarterback, running back, and receiver. It's kind of yeah. like it's, it's wild. It is wild. West Virginia. Yeah. Like, did you, did you think we would wrap up our mailbag with, with wrestling recruiting talk, Mike? 
I thought we might get to walk on football talk. Walk on football talk. That's it, that probably coming up this it, week. It is that time of year. Yeah. This, um, explain this to me because I was I was I, I probably should have known it, but now that I know more about signing day is Wednesday. I knew that, but it's going to be different. It's always different now because December is a bigger day. But this is going to be significantly different, maybe. Yeah. So you know, as as everybody's seen the last couple of years, it's the biggest signing day is the one in December. It's it's no longer. I feel like we shouldn't call it early signing day and this regular signing day. That December should just be regular signing day, and this is the late signing period or something, uh, whatever you want to call it, because this December is the time. And this week for West Virginia, I'm still expecting something, some news. Um, there are several key walk-ons that will make their decisions. And, and you can say walk-ons, are they signing? Yes, they do sign some. Preferred walk-ons sign some paperwork that kind of binds the school to them. But for them, it's a great situation. Uh, it doesn't bind them to the school, really, to be honest. And so you're going to see some pretty decent recruits who in maybe like even just a couple years ago might have been on full scholarship are now taking preferred walk-on spots at West Virginia. Um, we've seen a couple of those names pop up in, in recent days. Guys are making their announcements. Guys are making their commitments. And, and then you'll see them sign the paperwork on Wednesday. So it's going to be a pretty, pretty darn good preferred walk-on class and expecting some more news in the next – Maybe even the next few hours, uh, but certainly in the next 48. Oh, gosh. We better hurry up and post this then, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I have nothing else, Steve. I have absolutely nothing else. All right. Well, uh, Chris will finish up with additional answers or even repeated answers here with a little bit more uh, depth and detail online in the written portion of the mailbag. Until then, hang tight. We'll fill, you, um, fill your time and interest in the website with plenty of other basketball and maybe some football stuff. But uh, until then, uh, that's all from me. I'm Mike Casazza. I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.